Good morning, good day, good evening from uh, Bierkegaard, the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. It is uh, September 14th, it seems like. Uh, the most ferocious months of summer have passed, and it's starting to get cool, which I um I'm an autumn person, and I'm, a, I'm an October man for sure, and uh, I like Ray Bradbury's books, because a lot of his books are, uh, the limited ones I've read are based in October, and there's just something poignantly beautiful about the fall, and I wanted to start off today with a little bit of a reading about the fall. It's not necessarily corrected, uh, connected, <laughs> corrected, connected, corrected uh, to uh purity of heart is the will one thing, but I will read it anyway because it's, um, boy, it's beautiful. So this is from um, Soren's uh, uh, book, uh, Stages of Life's Way, and and he uses a pseudonym named William Alfam to to express this. Now I've read um, Stages in Life's Way a little bit, and uh, it's confusing, it's a confusing book. Uh, but what isn't? Soren's books are confusing sometimes. There's great clarity in the confusion, though. It's all it's all intentional. So this is Soren writing in the uh, pseudonym of William Afham. Recalls as he sits meditating among the trees. By now I have learned not to need nighttime in order to find stillness. He explains, for here it is always still out in the countryside. Always beautiful, but it seems most beautiful to me now when the autumn sun is having its mid-afternoon repast and the sky becomes a a legorious blue, legorious, that's the word for the day, legorious blue, something lovely about langorious blue, it's langorious actually, not legorious, langorious blue, when creation takes a deep breath after the heat. When the cooling starts and the meadow grass shivers voluptuously and the forest waves when the sun is thinking of sinking into the ocean at eventide. When the earth is getting ready for rest and is thinking of giving thanks. When just before they leave they have an understanding with one another in that tender melting together that darkness the forest uh, that darkens the forest and makes the meadow greener. In these golden hours, he adds, an overstrained person who has suffered much can seek solace. For there is nothing more gentle, more peaceful, and more calming than the waning radiance of the afternoon life. End of quote. This was the refuge from anxiety, from judging eyes, from noisy, grubby streets that Kierkegaard had dreamed of ever since his break with Regine, a place where he could retreat and sorrow over his uh, over his sins. Hmm. So Soren would go into the countryside on occasion. Uh, when he wrote Either Or, uh, we had talked about this a lot previously, as you are aware if you listen to the other podcast, Soren was made fun of a lot in the cities of Copenhagen. And Either Or was a fairly successful book, but it also became a term of derision that people used to call him that uh, in Danish, whatever that is. And it could have been anybody on the street, a little kid, an old lady, 
uh, the whole nine yards. It became his kind of his nickname, and it wasn't affectionate. Sometimes people call us nicknames, and it can be a source of affection. Um, my dad calls me Bear, as in the animal, and it's not because I am tough and uh, you know stout and very uh, aggressive and defend my defend my den and my cubs. It's because I had a teddy bear as a kid that I was very attached to, and uh, my dad's uh, my dad's almost uh, I think almost eighty eighty seven, and I'm nearly fifty nine, and he calls me Bear, which is a term of endearment, and occasionally my mom will too. So I was really hooked on this bear when I was a kid. I don't know why, but I was. There you go. So, you can call me Bear if you want. Eric Bearker. Eric Bear. No, don't call me Bear. That'd be weird. Anyway, we continue through chapter this chapter here. Uh, we start on page 72. Uh, purity of heart is to will one thing. This is called the reward disease. The reward disease. I got to thinking about this a little bit. How my own my own spirit responds when I've been wronged. And uh, we do things and we expect, you know, people to treat us well and to treat us kindly if we've, if we've acted that way. And when they don't, it can really uh, plant the seeds for revenge and retribution. We may not act on that revenge. We may not act on that retribution, but we can hold it internally. And God has helped me recently with uh, an issue that I won't talk too much about more. Uh, I try to be respectful of things that have happened in my life. There's always two sides to every story. And even if I think I'm right and have searched myself, uh, I may talk about it, I may not. But it's it's a it's a cautious decision to reveal too much to let the cat out of the bag. And if you're putting cats in the bags, I suggest you don't do that. It's not kind, but don't let the cat out of the bag in general if you do. Uh, in my own spirit, dreams help me a lot, like the dreams that I have at night when I'm sleeping. They tend to bring issues up that are very symbolic, but also very powerful. And they come back on like a repeat if I don't, if I'm not dealing with whatever I'm holding on to. And, uh, you know, if we expected a reward or people to be kind to us, and they're not, and then we get into a revengeful, revengeful mode or revengeful spirit... It certainly calls into question what our intentions were to start with. Uh, so we did it, if we did it for the right reasons, um, it shouldn't be as much of a consequence in terms of how people react. Uh, that's all I can say is that if we loved them, we cared about them when we did it, their lack of gratitude shouldn't tarnish that initial act. And if it does, that perhaps is a mirror back to the act that we weren't as pure as we thought we were. Now, it's human nature to get disappointed in people. And it's human nature to not like to be treated poorly. Um, but I've kind of learned uh, that the revengeful, retributive spirit, even if we don't act on it, carries its own burdens, of course. Uh, we, that unforgiveness is a burden that we carry around with us. And I'm not the first person to say that. Forgiveness is more for the person who needs to do the forgiving, and they may be completely justified with what they're holding on to. It may be morally understandable that they're upset or angry. Um, 
just use the I just like use a simple example of like I try to drive in a respectful way on the road, like love my neighbor out on the roadways with a, with my car. By the way, I did have to buy a new car the third time that the car went to the mechanic, my old car. The, the mechanic who's a Honda specialist wasn't able to figure out the parasitic leak, so I figured three strikes you're out. It's time to get a new car, so I did. With inflation the way it is, if I don't buy it now, the car will likely cost $4,000 more next year. Who knows? Uh, stock market's not going up and inflation is going up. That's a bad combination for our economy, but whatever. The uh, stock market is not the economy, but it is a good source of income for people that are retired in people's IRAs. And when people say it's not our economy, well, sure it is. For a lot of people, it's where they put their money for investments. Um, the thing about when we're driving on a road and somebody does something rude and somebody does something, you know, dangerous towards other people, um, it's very natural to want to reciprocate or to express ourselves in a way to that person if we can get their attention that is uh, confrontational. But let me ask you a question. Does it ever make it better? Does it ever make the road safer that I did that? You know, and it, and it doesn't. It makes the other driver angry even if they were doing dangerous ignorant things they don't go oh you know maybe i should chill out maybe i shouldn't act the way i'm acting maybe i'm putting innocent people at risk here no these kind of people are naturally inclined to be very selfish and to be dangerous at the expense of others so to confront them like throwing them the finger which i have done before uh, rarely is accepted as a uh, confrontation that they needed oh like thank you you straightened me out now, they typically will uh, escalate the situation. So you have to know who we're dealing with. And the revenge thing and the retribution thing often makes the situation even more dangerous because the person is likely to do something increasingly more dangerous on the road, like cut you off or you know, be three inches behind your bumper or try to sideswipe you or pull out a weapon. And all these things have been in my background to some extent where people have threatened to do certain things. So now I'm very careful. I, you know, I don't like people acting reckless out in the roadways. Again, I think it's very selfish. It's kind of endemic in our society. It doesn't matter if you are a liberal or a conservative. Uh, there are parties in each of those constituencies that act very ignorantly and damaging towards other people. And that's just a fundamental um, decency to not do to other people. We don't want done to ourselves. So Soren gets into this here today, and good is often temporarily rewarded by ingratitude, by lack of appreciation, by poverty, by contempt, by many sufferings, and now and then death by death. It is not this reward to which we refer when we say that the good has its reward. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yet this is the reward that comes in the external world. And that comes first of all, and it is precisely this reward which the man is anxious about who wills the good for the sake of the reward. For he has no time to wait, no time, no years, no life to give away, for an eternity. Hence, that reward which comes in the external world is so far from being desirable that on the contrary, it is both valuable and encouraging when it does not come in the outer world, so that the double-mindedness in the inner realm may perish, and so that that reward in heaven may be all the greater. To will the good for the sake of the reward is, as it were, a symbol of double-mindedness, and a double-mindedness man, double-minded man, according to the Apostle James' words, is unsteady in all his ways. Again, read the book of James if you want to know what 
being a Christian looks like on the ground. Reading the book of James will is the owner, owner's manual. It's the DNA of the Christian message. It's, it's an unusual book in one way. It's not as theological as Paul or Peter's writings or the other uh, writers in the, in the Bible, especially the New Testament, but it is very practical. And uh, there's a lot of theology in James that doesn't come across initially that undergirds his perspective of the world and as he uh, communicates the message of the gospel to the early church. So if we get in a revengeful, revengeful, retributive mindset, it, it cycles back to the intentions that we had to start with. Jesus says that if we treat people who treat people well, who treat us well, what reward is that? Because even the sinners and tax collectors do the same thing. It's the ability to do kindly to people that don't deserve it that is a spiritual acid test. Now, I get fearful at times when we do good things to bad people uh, because often, depending on their own nature, uh, it may confirm them in their own mind that they're they're fine, that people, you know, approve of their misbehavior. It's a tricky, it's a tricky, uh, it's a tricky thing. We have to pray for wisdom in it, in, in interacting in 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 act <laughs> in interacting with it because if the person thinks they're being rewarded for their misbehavior, it creates more uh, misbehavior. It really does. And until it's dealt with, it will harm more people. And that's the passivity of like the peace churches I don't like. At times you have to confront evil behavior because it's going to continue to make it worse for uh, innocent people. And use the example of riding along in, in a car and somebody's being dangerous. Until they're dealt with, they may kill somebody. And I don't think that's acceptable. I don't think it's acceptable to say, well, you know, eventually they'll get their reward from God or their punishment. Down the road, when it comes to Judgment Day, what if they uh, take out a family? You know, mom coming back from soccer practice with a car full of uh, kids in the minivan, and all of them are killed in a fiery wreck because some idiot is driving 105 miles an hour on a 55-mile-an-hour road and weaving in and out uh, of the road. Yeah. That's not cool, and that has to be dealt with, and law enforcement has a role in that to put that behavior uh, to rest and to punish that person. Soren talks about only a weak and effeminate man demands immediate justification, demands immediate success in the outer world just because he is weak and therefore must have an outward proof that he is the strongest. The one who is really strong and is really uh, the more powerful quietly concedes a domain to the weakling and readily allows him to give the impression of being the stronger. So with the good, when it tolerates such a deceiver, it is as if... It is said to him secretly, yes, enjoy yourself with your false appearance, but, rem but remember, we too shall talk again together, or should talk uh, together again. The double-minded one stands at a parting of ways. Two visions appear, the good and the reward. It is not in his power to bring them into agreement, for they are fundamentally different from each other. Only that reward which God for all eternity adds to the good and the inner realm, only that is in truth homogeneous with the good. So he stands pondering and reflecting. If he is wholly absorbed in his ponderings, then he continues to stand a symbol of double-mindedness. Double I'm going to jump uh, through a couple paragraphs here. He immediately looks about the clouds, notes the way, the wind blows and whether the smoke goes straight up from the chimney. So 
um, the person who wants the reward, uh, even if they realize that the reward is passing, they start to really pay attention and start to be cautious in order to calculate to get the reward. But what happens to the person who operates in faith? Um, strengthened by God, bracing himself only by his confidence, he almost never desired to be rewarded in any other way uh, by this world. Uh, but then he become, became weary. He clutched after the reward in the narrow, narrow sense and after an easier understanding of the reward. For in general, the closer the understanding lies to misunderstanding, the easier it becomes. He could not bear with the eternal. He could not endure the opposition of the world and the people. Soren concludes this uh, chapter. So we're almost done chapter four. And if you think it gets easier or the road gets uh, less rocky or less steep from this point on, no, um, Soren doubles down and triples down in the, in the ensuing chapters here. I've read through this. It doesn't get easier. If you think this is challenging, hold on. He's only trying to build your conditioning up to take more <laughs> of what he's dishing out. Life school is for adults and therefore is somewhat more stern than the children's school. It is a stern school. Um, but he resist, resisted. He reduced his demands. He did not wish to deceive the good. Alas, neither would that help. He believed that as long as he clung to the good, he possessed a claim upon life. Now it seemed to him as though the good alone had, has claims upon him, had claims upon him. And at this, his courage slackened. He looked about him where so many others helped themselves to the reward, the tempter began to frighten him into a feeling of faint-heartedness as to why he did not wish to be like the others, and as to why he insisted upon running after the vagaries of imagination instead of laying hold of that which is certain. Then his mind was changed. In life it had happened to him just as in school it might happen, to the superior pupil if there were no teacher, the mediocre would gain the dominance and gain power to do, seduce the uh, superior pupils because the good pupil had no teacher in whom to seek protection. And in life, there is no visible teacher who encourages the good pupil, we are, for we are all pupils. If the, good pu pu pupil, <laughs> if the good pupil keeps on, he must find the encouragement in himself. Uh, this he did not find. His courage was shattered. Perhaps he did not find what he now sought in the world, and so he went down. He deceived, he the deceived one, whom the world deceived as to the reward when he willed the good, uh, and whom the world betrayed most terribly when it got him to forget, uh, forget and for, uh, forsake the good. So that's the conclusion of uh, chapter four. The next chapter is five, barriers to willing one thing, willing out of fear of punishment. So we'll get to that next, uh, next week, uh, Lord willing. It is important to not presume upon tomorrow. James talks about that. We want to be confident that God is with us and that you know we're going to have happy, uh, satisfied, contented lives, but reality often uh, runs counter to that. So we always have to hold this life loosely um, and to understand that Life is a vapor, as James says, and it appears for a little while and vanishes away. And don't let that drive you crazy. Let that put things into perspective. When trouble hits, uh, remember that life is a vapor. That's not just to uh, warn the rich and the powerful and the prideful that everything they put their uh, 
put their hope into is, is like a mist or a fog or a, a vapor. It's to also uh, to give encouragement to those that are going through a hard time and going through trials, and it may be a short-term thing or a long-term thing, that th- that too is a mist. That too will pass. Just want to conclude on uh, one last thing here is when people do evil and they do wrong, um, it's very easy, to, again, to get in the spirit of wanting to act similar similar way to them, to give them what they deserve. And you have to trust that God's going to deal with them. And there should be human consequences for a behavior. You shouldn't just look the other way. But it needs to be reasoned and appropriate and should weep over people that do wrong because they're harming their own souls as well as other people. And uh, there's a a note inside of um, the biography that we've talked about where Soren cites a a verse out of the Bible. I'm going to turn to here. It's going to take me a sec. It's on page 198 in the biography that we talked about before, which has been really, really helpful. It's like the secret story to uh, to Soren's life. It's uh, kind of the backside. Uh, his writings are the front side, but this is kind of the backside to some extent. Oh, so uh, Soren writes, I cannot agree with that at all. For the person who desires assistance in reaching what is uh, the highest benefit from benefits from experiencing such a thing, which is negativity, attacks, uh, criticism from others, and should rather desire it even if others may be disturbed on his behalf, know that the terrible thing is something else. The thought of many human lives that are squandered or may easily be squandered. I will not even mention those who are lost or led astray to their downfall, who play the role of uh, the dog for money, uh, but of the many rootless ones, the superficial ones, the sensuous, those who are snobbish, who in snobbish indulgence get no deeper impression of life than this foolish grinning, all the second raters who are led into new temptation because of their, in their limitation, they, uh, even derive self-importance from having sympathy for the victims of the attack. Without grasping that in such a situation the victims are always the strongest, without grasping that here it is dreadfully and yet ironically appropriate to say, weep not for him, but weep for yourselves. And that's a verse out of the Bible, out of the Gospel of Luke. And this is somewhat in reflection that Soren's talking about the scurrilous journalism of the Corsair and others in Copenhagen, which he calls a nasty dog, which the public uh, keeps for its amusement. When the dog, when this dog attacks its superior victim, he wrote, the public is unrepentant. For after all, it was not the public. In fact, it was the dog. And the public is unrepentant because after all, it was not really slander. It was just for a bit of fun. Um, and Soren talks about that we can feel... Um, hurt by that and violated and he was uh, by the attacks Uh, but he quotes this verse weep not for him but weep for yourselves and again if you don't know the bible real well that will just seem like kind of a maybe a profound statement but it comes from jesus when he was entering jerusalem after being scourged and questioned by pilate jesus is walking towards uh, golgotha and the crucifixion and there are women weeping uh, for him. And Jesus is entering uh, Jerusalem uh, for that crucifixion. And he says, weep for yourselves and your children. It's Luke twenty-three twenty-eight. 
And he actually says this, the following. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. And Jesus, again, had just left Pilate. He was mocked. He was scourged and had been spit upon. He, he was bound in silence. And this is the only words that were recorded as Jesus is going uh, towards crucifixion. It's the only words that are uh, quoted in the four Gospels about in between uh, the visit with Pilate and the uh, crucifixion itself. This is what Jesus says, weep for yourselves and your children. And Jesus is telling them that hard times and bad times are coming upon them because of the evil of that generation. And there's going to be a lot of people caught in that conflict between the Romans and the Jews, which ultimately concluded in the battle uh, and siege of Jerusalem in AD 70 when um, it was so awful there was starvation. It was, it was a siege. And eventually Jerusalem was destroyed. And this generation that had lived when Jesus was alive, many of those people were still alive in AD 70 when, when Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed. And Jesus had predicted that. He said that, you know, upon this generation, the woes of all the sins that have been committed to me and on others is going to be paid. Uh, it's, going to, it's going to be demanded of this generation and, and the sins will be paid for. And uh, uh, this commentator named Ellicott made a good uh quote, he, good observation, he said, the tenderness of Jesus, concerned for others, and uh, he was concerned for others in the midst of his own pain and his own suffering, that he was focusing on the suffering that was going to happen to that generation because of the way they had treated him. And um, if you ever wonder how bad the famine was and the siege of Jerusalem was, read, uh, read Josephus. Uh, it's very, very awful. There's a story that's told in there that uh, the starvation had got so, uh, so, uh, so massive and so widespread that a woman cooked her own child and uh, the soldiers came banging on her door wanting some of it and they were horrified to find out that the woman was was so uh, hungry that she had killed her own child and cooked it and they wanted some of those uh, some of those vittles for their meal and they were horrified and repulsed of course by a half-eaten child in the, in the pot so how do we deal with evil? Uh, we have to trust that God is going to deal with that person. There is some in-life karma that usually awful people and abusive people and selfish pe people often find others that have the same characteristics. And when those two things come together, those two, two people come together, uh, the collision, the conflict that happens is awful. Uh, use the example of the road again. If there's two very rude, dangerous, and reckless drivers, both cutting in and out of the traffic, they will typically offend each other. And uh, the problem is there's a lot of innocent people that can suffer in that conflict. And I, I can't make sense of it how innocent people are responsible for the behavior of non-innocent people. But that's exactly what happened to Jesus, of course. Uh, so we share in Jesus' sufferings if we're an innocent party in this, these conflicts and we get damaged. Um, but God will deal with that, that individual. Now, there are people that skate. I've seen that for sure. Uh, we have to admit that we all have done wrong to people, maybe not maliciously, but we've done wrong. We have to act in such a way that our conscience is clear. Uh, we have to remember that revenge is sweet, but it corrodes the teeth and it corrodes the soul. So we have to be careful about practicing revenge um, we have to be willing to give space for God and I have seen in my career in my prof uh, professional life and my personal life 
that when I was on the receiving end of abuse or insults or criticism, sometimes which was deserved, but not always, and not not often, but not and certainly not always. Um, usually that person has been dealt with. Uh, usually they they did it to other people, and usually the system or uh, other individuals uh, held them accountable in a way that I couldn't. So we have to trust in these situations. Uh, we have to first come before God and ask for forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong, either in spirit or action. In, in action, uh, it's not just about well, I didn't I didn't call the person name back. We also held on to it, and we wanted something bad to happen to that person. And we shouldn't want revenge in that sense. We should want the person to become the person that God wants them to be, versus like them getting getting their just desserts or something. We want them to be a better person. Uh, so that's where this weeping for others comes in. That when harm happens to us, it's easy for us to weep for ourselves. But weep for the other person who has done the evil because they are less and less all the time because of their actions and their own behaviors and their own attitudes that we would hope that they would become better people for their own sake and for the world's sake. Uh, that's That's the goal that we should pray for them that we should want for them and i just learned on learned recently on social media you know sometimes i'll comment on third party articles or pages i try to avoid super controversial stuff unless i really feel i need to take a stand on something i've learned with controversial matters there's no way that my interaction with that person is going to do any good usually because they've already made their mind up uh, sometimes there's people in the middle that aren't sure and sometimes it it makes sense to make a stand for those people that are undecided like abortion i think that you know i could take a stand on that issue of being pro-life in a way that there might be people that are more in the middle somewhere that would see my point of view and maybe come over to a more pro-life perspective but i've also learned that if somebody is is Let's say I just commented about something. I can use an example recently. And I follow a lot of different pages on Facebook. And somebody had posted, uh, um, you know, a page had posted that there was a company that had, back in the 60s, was um, advertising the sell, the selling of Arizona real estate for a relatively inexpensive amount of money, like $695 per acre. But what they reflected in the ad was a rosy picture of what Arizona was like. And they said, well, the average temperatures are in the 60s, which is true because the desert gets cool at night. So even if it's 95 or 100 or 110 at night, you average that with 55 during, uh, uh, 105 during the day. If you average that with 55 at night or 50 because the desert gets cool at night, your average temperature starts to get closer to in the 60s, right? So I just happened to mention that they forgot in the ad to mention how hot it is during the day. They said the average temperature is in the 60s, which is probably true. That's probably meteorologically true. And, and somebody said, nobody cares. Their, their comment was, nobody cares. Uh, to my to my observation, which was fairly obvious, but unless somebody knows the desert, they may not know that it gets cool at night. And I thought it was an uncalled for comment. Like, why go out of the way just to be ignorant or just to express that? Like, if nobody cares, why bother even posting it? Because nobody cares about what you think either. <laughs> Um, and, and someone else had kind of put an emoji in there with their hands up, like, oh, you're astute, um, eagle eye there. And you know what I did is rather than respond to these people, I just blocked them. I'm like, you know, like you're going out of your way to try to score points with a crowd. I didn't post my post with any sense of maliciousness or superiority. 
I was being fairly just observational and thought it was fairly clean and wasn't trying to toot my own horn or anything. But these two people went out of their way to be ignorant and to be mean-spirited for no reason and trying to score points or make themselves feel better. Now, it wasn't a big insult. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I was like, why go to your way to do that? Like, what is it about you that needs to to disrespect uh, somebody and act superior to them in the context of a social media post? And I just blocked them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to reason with them. They are who they are. And I'm just going to knock the dust off my sandals and walk away and say enough is enough. I'm not going to feed into this. So I do that a lot on Twitter. I do that a lot on Facebook. And my Instagram account now is open, Birkegaard, so if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, certainly do so. I've had a change of mind about that because I've uh, had some good experiences on Instagram recently with others who uh, decided to follow me and had some conversation with a guy that runs a page on Instagram that he keeps it an open follow. Uh, so I'll just continue to do what I'm doing now. Somebody acts ignorant or disrespectfully. Uh, People are allowed to be critical. That's fine. It's just like criticism is a tricky game. Don't don't use that coin unless you have to. And if the situation is not important, don't be critical. It just doesn't reflect well on the person. No matter how that person feels when they do it, that they've scored points or bolstered their own uh, faltering self-esteem or showed how smart they were. Uh, to most people who are balanced, who are mature, it just looks like a, a juvenile act. And it makes the person look poorly upon themselves but they don't realize that because they're juvenile (laughs) they might be 80 years old but they're juvenile so that's it for today hopefully that was helpful podcast continues to grow if you know a student who's going to college who's in high school or uh, getting ready to in their first uh, they're in their first semester of their their college uh, freshman year uh, certainly look up my book Uh, my last name is Birker B-I-E-R-K-E-R on the edge transitioning imaginatively to college I wrote that book for students going to college to think about the overall process, not just to gain admission, but to actually walk across the stage in commencement. Uh, So buy 12 books and hand them out to all your friends and your family that are in that life stage. That's so important to get right and avoid spending thousands of dollars and have a lot of wreckage as a result. But it's available on Kindle, uh, Amazon. It's also available uh, through Lulu, uh, Lulu Press, L-U-L-U Press, Birker, On the Edge, Transitioning Imaginatively College. That's the result of my doctoral work at Temple University. Again, this podcast is completely free. It's offered with a spirit of uh, generosity and positivity. Uh, but if you want to support, uh, support what I'm doing, buy my book. I think that's a fair, that's a fair trade. So have a good day. We'll see you guys next week.